0: Wow, what a morning already. Well, I dare say that the, the words pay attention are, are very critical words that, that we have, very important words that we have placed upon our lives. We're to pay attention. I and mean, if you're in school, as a student, you need to pay attention or you're not gonna get the grades. If you're at work, if you don't pay attention during the meeting, I mean, that's not gonna be good. You're not gonna know what's going on. You may get looked over for promotion or other things. Because um, we, we want to do well. So paying attention helps us to do well. If you're driving, it's also very important, and it's very crucial, um, as I've learned in the, in the last week, that um, you have to be careful and pay attention so you don't hit another car um, or hit a, another person. When you're eating and drinking and um, doing those things, you don't want to have food or drink all over your lap or on your shirt as well. That's never fun. Paying attention is important there. So we see paying attention is important. You know, and as a parent, I've learned over the years that, that paying attention um, is very important as, as, a, as a father. Um, and, of course, as, as you know, if you have kids as well, if you're a parent, um, when the kids were babies, I learned very quickly that I had to transform myself um, into someone else. Um, I had to transform myself um, into a, a ninja. You may say, well, why a ninja? Because, as you well know, whenever you have a child that's young, a baby, and you go to put them down to sleep, You have to be super careful um, as you lay them down into the crib, after you've rocked them for endless hours, it feels like, and you set them down, you know that you walk away ever so slowly. Um, You walk around the side of the wall trying to to do your best not to have the floor creak. Um, You do your best as you go and you close the door, not allowing it to make a rattle or any kind of sound whatsoever, because you know the minute that that happens, the tiniest of sound, what's going to happen? They're up. And that means you're up for even longer. And then that leads to the next stage, which is getting them, picking them back up, and for me, putting them in the car seat, and then driving around the neighborhood for an hour um, until, you know, especially Gavin, until Gavin fell asleep, I would drive around for an hour, at one in the morning, asking myself, what in the world have I done? And eventually I would get home, and it was the same process. Now he's asleep in the car, I have to be careful as I um, remove him out of the, the, the car, not to let the car door slam, not to let the door slam as they go into the house. Um, And usually, to be honest with you, I leave him in the baby carrier. He was secure. He was okay. Leave him next to the bed. I wouldn't even change for the fear of him waking up and I would slide into bed ever so carefully and off to sleep I went. So you get the point. Paying attention um, is important. It it heightens your senses. You're aware of everything because in this case, your sanity depends on it. Well, as we come to our text this morning, we're reminded to to tighten our senses. We're reminded figuratively to, to be on guard. Be on guard. Towards what? To pay attention towards ourselves. To look at ourselves. To take heed for, for yourself. To pay attention. So we're going to look at Luke 17, 1-10 this morning as Jesus once again, he turns his attention towards his disciples and he teaches them. So let's look at this text together this morning. and We'll be in Luke 17, 1-10. He says, and he says to his disciples, Temptations to sin And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because of what he commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Praise to God for his word this morning. This morning, I want to unpack six things. Six things I want to unpack for you as we look at paying attention. And pay attention is going to be the word that leads them out. The first point is to pay attention. Pay attention, why? Because temptations will happen temptations will happen. As we see there in verse 1, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. Jesus reminds his disciples that temptations are going to come their way. They're they're not exempt from them as much as they'd want to be. They will have to to face them. And what are temptations? They're they're stumbling blocks, basically. They're they're things that trip a person up. They're they're things that that trap a person. They're things that entice a person. There are things that influence a person. They're, they're like a bait stick. They're like, you see in those cartoons when, when, when a character has a stick with a, with, a, with a carrot on it and he's trying to bait. That, that, that's what temptation is. And if given in to that, they, they cause one to fall. They cause one to bring in pain and, and potential ruin to their life. Ultimately, they're the very things that cause a person to sin. But, being tempted itself is not a sin, but it can lead to sin. As we see in James 1, 14 through 15, reminds us, but each person is tempted when he is lured or enticed by his own desires. Then the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, keep alert. Temptations are sure to come. Keep alert. You know, And, and as I read this, this text last week, the first image that popped into my mind for me well, was this image right here behind me. And you may say, what in the world um, is that? <laughs> this is a picture of my daughter's room, or our daughter's room, Hudson. Um, kids will get messy from time to time, as she can. we we'll clean a room, and it goes right back to disaster within an hour. Um, but, you know, she she likes to play with toys, and she likes to, to leave them out. And, and she knows that... that Daddy will come in at some point during the evening, whether to help her, to give her some milk, or to give her something. So her thing now is, it's been for about a year and a half, is she likes to set out things for me to trip on. (laughs) Because I forget in the middle of the night when she's calling out for something, and I go and I grab that nice glass of milk and I bring it to her, and next thing I know I'm stepping on my little pony and having all kinds of pain enter into my body and doing my best not to let a word that shouldn't come out of my mouth, which I do, I don't let it come out um, and it's difficult. And I try to find myself not to get angry, but it's difficult because even in the midst of the night when that happens, as she sets these things up before me to fall on, she begins to laugh. And when she begins to laugh, then quickly I begin to laugh because it's contagious, and it gets me out of that moment. In the church, you get the point. This is what temptations are like. They're like things that come our way. Sometimes we just don't see. We don't know they're going to be there. Or sometimes we do, hey, we know that they're potentially there, and we forget about them. They're all around us. They're scattered like toys. We don't see them coming, and yet we wrestle with them. But we know this, that we can also make it through them. We know that we can make it through these temptations. We can rely on God. We can rely on his truth to make it through anything that we face. When we look back, that's what Jesus did. Jesus was was pulled out into the wilderness, and and he was tempted. Yes, maybe not in the same way that we're tempted, but he was tempted. And he took on that temptation as a man. I think for, for our benefit, and as he went and as he was tempted by the evil one, by Satan himself, Satan would often come and he would use the word, the very word of God, against God, but he used it incorrectly, and Jesus would use it correctly back, showing that, that the power of the word. That's why it's important for us as we battle temptation, that we paddle with the word. We have it. You have it in your hand. Use it. That's why it's good for us to learn it and to know it. You know, I'm so very thankful that here at Boone Trail, we have Iwana where they study the Scriptures, where they learn the Scripture, where they may not have their Bible on, them, they can still recite the very verses. This last week, in our time together on Wednesday nights, one of our 7th grade girls, yes, 7th grade girls, 8th grade girls, she was able just to quote a verse like that because she knew it from a wand. So thank you. It's important to the church. It's important for us to know the Word of God, and we can go and we can fight against these temptations that will come. We can speak truth to ourselves, not these false things that this world brings towards us, but truth. We can battle it. So Use, use the word, pay attention to, to the things around you. Temptations will come. That's what he's saying. Second point is this, to pay attention, don't be that person. Pay attention, don't be that person. Verses 1 and 2 says, And he said to the disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Wow, very strong words from from Jesus to his disciples. Jesus uses the word woe. Woe. It's a word used for disaster. It's a word used for, for horror. that brings shock. It brings fear. Woe to the one who resembles the ultimate tempter and tempts others to sin. Woe to that person. Jesus goes on to say that it would be better to suffer a death in the most distressing and horrific way, as is described here, than to have to um, to endure the consequences for leading someone else astray. I can't imagine that type of death that's described here. For unbelievers, it's severe punishment in hell. For for those who are believers, it's punishment, suffering, discipline in this life, and the loss of eternal war, reward, rewards for eternity for causing one of these to sin, for causing one of these to have temptations that come to where that can lead them to sin. So don't be that person, is what Jesus is saying here clearly. Don't be that person. Church, it's scared the thought to realize just how easy, think about it, just how easy you and I, we can lead other people astray if we're not careful. We can lead them towards sin. We have to pay attention to ourselves. You know, and this can happen in our lives by, by our, our actions. Our actions, as we go through, through the week, our attitudes, our, our complaining, our discontent, our language, our gossip, and even our boasting. Woe to us if we make it easier for someone to sin. I know for myself, you know, confessions were made this week. Confessions were made because there's been times in my life where I've led people astray. And it came, it came flooding back in, and I had to do some confession on my on my, on my behalf towards God. But thanks be to God, though, that if we come to him and we truly repent, he will forgive us of our sins. He will. That I've caused others to even sin. We're reminded in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Yes, there, there may or will be consequences for our actions, but, but we are truly forgiven. Praise God for that. The third point is to pay attention. Disapprove, not dismiss. Disapprove, not dismiss. What does it say there in verse 4? It says if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Here, here, Jesus reminds the disciples that to lean in, if one of their brothers, their fellow believers, falls in to sin. They're to rebuke. Rebuke. And rebuke is a word that, that sounds a lot worse than what it truly is. It's a word that warns warn forcefully is what it means, to express strong disapproval. It's not a full-on rage or a beat down on somebody. You don't come in kicking them. But yes, it involves pushing in. It involves that, that word, hence that word of force, pushing into whatever is going on in their life, whatever sin it may be. And if someone has sinned against you or others, which is sin that, that's truly against God, you're to go to that person. You're to go to them. You're to love them enough to express yourself to them, to come towards them and say, hey, I see what's going on here. I love you enough that I'm pressing in. Not for the thrill. Not because you love confrontation. Oh, I love to be confrontational. I'm going to jump in there. Not for your namesake. Oh, I'm going to be big and mind. look at me, look at me coming in. Not to make yourself feel big. Not to embarrass. That's the last thing you want to do. And especially not to get even or to hurt them. You hurt me, I'm hurting you. I'm going to embarrass you. But in love and with truth, with much prayer, You approach that person. You come to that person, hoping it leads to repentance and restoration. That's your hope. Initially, it may hurt them to hear and to deal with it, but after comes restoration. We know this from from Galatians 6.1. It says, we are to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And for what purpose? Why are we doing this? For the glory of God and for the good of your brother or sister spiritually. His glory and for their good. That's why we go, and that's why we rebuke. Listen, confrontation, it's never easy. Never, never is it easy. It's easier to do like water, really, and to take the, the path of least resistance. It's easier just to avoid it altogether. And listen, I've been there before. Well, I avoid it. But as brothers and sisters of Christ, we are to lean into each other. We are to lean in, not because you like it again, but because there is a time for it. And here it's when someone has known and known sin or has done something intentionally to you. You're to lean in. I can think of times in my life where I've had to lean in and have difficult conversations, and it's not fun. And, you know, you pray and you get ready for it, and you go in and you say what you need to say. You pray that God will help you speak in truth and love, praying that they will receive the message that they would hear and that they would be confronted with what they've done and that they would repent and turn from it. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't regardless of where to go to our brothers and sisters of Christ. Church, let me ask you, and I ask myself this as well. Do you love your brother and sister in Christ enough to go to them courageously, graciously, and with compassion to disapprove of their sin? Do you love them enough to do that? I pray so. I pray so for myself as well. So a disciple disapproves. it doesn't show indifference. No, it oh, it's no big deal. They go on sinning to the sin of his brother or sister in Christ. No, they lean in. They lean in. Remember, the goal is repentance and reconciliation to God and also with you. Remember that. Fourth point, pay attention. Pay attention. Forgive, 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 forgive. forgive. Seven times we see forgive here. Verse four says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Here Jesus tells his disciples to forgive. Forgive. If you rebuke your brother and he repents, turns from his sin, forgive him. Sure, it may may take some time for trust to be restored. It may take time for that, but forgiveness is to be given. You must forgive, and not just once. Even if it's the same day and that person comes to you again and again, sins against you and repents, you are to forgive. May I ask you, have you ever been sinned against seven times by somebody in one day? Seven times in one day? Maybe if you're, if you're a parent, your kids have done that towards you. And of course, it's easier for us to forgive our kids because we love our kids. You know, we do. They're, they're our, right there, we love them, so it's, it's easier. But what about someone who's not your child? What about someone who comes against you and sins seven times against you? Will you forgive regardless? Cyril of Alexandria, he said this. He compared forgiveness to the work of a medical doctor. He says, we we should imitate those whose business it is to heal our bodily diseases. Cyril says, and, and who do not care for a sick person once or only twice, but just as often as he happens to become ill. When a patient has some sort of illness, the the doctor will provide the necessary cure. If the patient later suffers a relapse or comes down with another disease, the doctor will not claim that he has treated the patient already, but will prescribe another cure. So it is with the sole healing work of forgiveness. However many times someone comes to tell us that they are sorry, we are to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, if you're like me, you may be thinking, wait though, fish, there's an if in here. If. If. If you repent, then you're to forgive him. Your correctness there, but what does this word if mean? That if the person rebuked doesn't repent, that you're to hold a grudge? If you've already been harmed, you continue to, to let it fester? You don't forgive? Is that what's saying here? That's what's being said here? In that case, just imagine all the bitterness that would be floating around, that would be kept alive and stirred constantly if that was the case you know in my understanding we're, we're to forgive regardless we're to forgive regardless he doesn't say if he doesn't repent don't forgive we are to forgive but but if that person does not repent if that person does not show regret for their sin towards you although forgiven by you there will be no renewal or reconciliation that will happen there and your forgiveness again doesn't take away from the fact that he or she needs to be held accountable for their actions as disciples we're to have a heart of forgiveness do you have a heart of forgiveness do I have a heart of forgiveness the fifth point is to pay attention pay attention it doesn't take much it doesn't take much the apostle said to the Lord increase our faith and the Lord said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed you could say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and plant it in the sea and it would obey you so upon hearing this command to forgive those that have sinned against you seven times in a day, the apostles, this, this inner circle, now he's moving from just to the disciples, now he's talking to his, his apostles, those 12, they're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Give us more faith. Jesus, we need more faith. The words of Jesus to forgive must have seemed, seemed daunting to them. As many, many of us today may say, man, that's daunting, that's difficult, I can't believe that. Jesus, you're going to have to give us more faith. I need more faith here to make this happen. Uh, You know, I don't think we're any different. I I thought to myself as I was reading this as well, and that would be difficult to do, so you're not alone if that is you. But Jesus' response makes this point clear. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is very, very small, you could do what would seem impossible to do, to be able to, to do what you cannot do in your own human strength. That's what you'd be able to do. Like taking a tree or talking to a tree for it to be uprooted. Not just any tree, the the mulberry tree, which is doing research is a tree that's known for its root system that's extensive, very, very difficult to dig up. But you would be able to talk to it and have it planted in the sea. Not just tossed into the sea, but planted into the sea, which sounds strange because you're planting it into water. What's Jesus' point? Jesus' point to the apostles and to us. Even with the tiniest of faith, even smaller than described here, you and I, we receive su- supernatural power that it takes to forgive your brothers and sisters in Christ. His power is at work within us. How awesome that is. So pay attention. Pay attention. It doesn't take much faith to forgive. Trust him. Humble yourself, church, and forgive. Sixth and final point is to pay attention. Do do what is commanded. Pay attention. Do what is commanded. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and and dress properly and serve me while I eat and while I drink? And afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he, he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, "We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty." And this last parable it's a warning. What's it a warning to? It's a warning to pay attention, pay attention against pride, and simply remember that you're doing what is commanded. If you're forgiving, you're doing what is commanded. If you're doing the things of God, you're doing what is commanded. You, and so boasting in yourself. It can happen, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't happen. We shouldn't be the ones boasting about ourselves. So pay attention to yourself. In Jesus, what does he do? He uses an example of a servant here. And what does a servant do? A servant serves. Serve who? Serve, serve their master and the master. The servant is to do what he is commanded to do. You know, Kristen and I, we've been watching a few seasons of a, a popular show you may have seen on TV. Some of you know it, some of you may not. Downton Abbey, and I like the show, but it's been in preparation for the new movie that's coming out in a few days, and I promise this isn't a plug for the movie, but every time I I watch it, I'm always intrigued um, by the main family in the show um, and how they have all these servants for everything. I can't imagine having someone to help me get dressed in the morning or the 12 times I change in a day like they do. I can't imagine it. But not once do you see them eating with their servants. You don't. You don't see them eating with the Lord of their home. Nor is there ever great thanks given to them towards their servants for, for doing what is asked of them. Sure, sometimes you make, they may get a simple thank you, but not like the thanks that others are looking for. Oh, thank you so much for doing that. it was awesome. The point is clear. The servant doesn't receive extra chill time after coming in from laboring in the field. be able to sit down on the couch and lay back and sit to his master and eat. No. He continues to do what is commanded of him continues to do what's commanded of him that is what a servant is here for to serve to continue to serve to continue the servant doesn't receive thanks for doing what is supposed to be done that's their duty that's what they're there to do so what is Jesus saying he's saying hey don't let pride sneak in and say look look at what i've done check me out look at these great things i'm doing no he's to say Hey, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm an unworthy servant. If you're his, that's what you say. I'm an unworthy servant, and you're simply doing what is asked of you. There's nothing that you can bring to the table in and of yourself to make yourself a worthy servant. We're unworthy. There's only one worthy servant, and of course we know that is Christ. So what do we boast in? We boast in Christ, we boast in Him alone we boast in God. He who humbled himself and came down and made the only way for you and me to be made right with the Father. That's who we boast in. He died on the cross. He took your sin debt. He took my sin debt. And he rose on the third day to show that he has power over death, power over sin. And because of him and his righteousness on your behalf, you have a, a place at the master's table. Or you can, if you haven't already, given him a place. Or go to, or if you haven't at this point, you can come into a relationship with him. It's not too late for that. Surrender your life to him if you have it today. This could be the day of salvation for you. So with all this, I say pay attention. Pay attention, church. Pay attention, Stephen Fisher. Watch out for, for temptations. Watch out how you live your life before others. Care enough to reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ when they sin. Forgive. Trust that that what God asks, he will help you accomplish as you trust him. And do what is asked for the glory of the one who died for you. Do what is asked for the glory of the one who died for you. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you again for for time and your word this morning. I thank you so much for for your word, Father. Lord, and as we come to you today, Father, we just, I just, I should say, I pray for anyone in here, Lord, today that doesn't have a relationship with you, that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a seat at, at your table. Lord, that they would come to realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus, that they would surrender their life to you fully. This will be the day of salvation for them. that they come, I speak to myself, another pastor, another church member, we can open up the word and walk through what it means to be a Christian, a disciple, a follower, a believer of Christ. Lord, to so do the work that only you can do in their life. Lord, for the rest of us as well, Father, I pray that you would help us to see areas, Lord, of temptation that we all face. Lord, that we wouldn't run to it, that we'd run from it. Lord, we'd take your word we'd fight against it. The very sword that you've given us. Lord, and not just that, but we would not be one that engages and leads others to, to fall or to falter. Lord, and that we would seek the better good of our brother and sister around us. And not be afraid to approach them. Rebuke. Lord, and, and also to forgive. Help us, Father, with that. Lord, help us to put our our faith and our trust in you. Not to be prideful, but realizing, Lord, it's you who's doing this great work within us. Not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, you do what you do today, Father. We love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.